As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. The Phil Hay Show. Hello, welcome to the show. The Phil Hay Show brought to you by The Athletic, along with The Square Ball, Dan from The Square Ball, Michael from The Square Ball, and of course, Phil Hay here from The Athletic. Uh, this is the back end of the week show. We react to the week's events. We preview what is coming up at the weekend, which is Bournemouth. We'll do that in due course. There is, of course, the Phil Hay Monday Club over on the Square Ball feed as well, where we react immediately to the, the weekend's games, where we'll be doing that after we've played Bournemouth. So uh, look out for me and Phil chatting for just 15 minutes, Phil, isn't it? It's against the time of 15 minutes on a Monday. Yeah, we were bang on last week. People were very complimentary about that. Yeah, unlike the previous week. These shows, of course, free, but you can listen ad-free when you subscribe to The Athletic, ad-free pods, and you can read every word Phil writes about Leeds United, participate in the pre- and post-match day discussions with the man himself. Theathletic.com forward slash Leeds pod. Well, part one of the show, we normally have a little review of the week, see what's uh, what's gone on. We have a midweek game to, to reference, which was the Leicester game at home. Uh, Phil, dust has settled now. It's Thursday late morning. How do we feel about what happened at Ellen Road on uh, on Tuesday? Not great, really. Um, I was telling you before we came on air that at the point where that Vardy disallowed goal went in, somebody just about put their foot through the wall of the press box uh, where we were sitting. And I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that there were scores of people who just stood up and were preparing to leave instantly before was it Victor the flag Alter? went up. Um, I, <laughs> it didn't look like someone with a beard or glasses, but it was, um, it was kicked with some Latin fury, let's say that. Uh, people were about to exit the building at that point. People, even though it was 2-1, you kind of thought the time time left if this is allowed, this goal and everything else. There were people who just wanted to go and that feels like the that feels like the general vibe. I thought the crowds generally were fantastic on Tuesday night. Again, the first half was so intense and it's always pretty wild at Ellen Road. It's always, it's always very, very engaged, but it was like total investment. Everybody competing for everything and actually the, the players did exactly the same. But it just dissipated again in the second half. And as I say, the point at which that disallowed goal went in, there was just, you know, a, a feeling of defeatism, I think. I rather fear the damage is done here. I mean, I, the five games to go, 15 points still to be had. It's starting to narrow down now to a, a smaller group of, of clubs at the bottom of the table. Theoretically, enough games left, without a doubt, to stay up. But they are going backwards rapidly and there's very little in these performances that make them look like a team who are, are going to dig their way out of this and I do feel that if they go into next month 
30 points they've got at the moment. If they go into next month, those four games with 30, 31 points, if they don't win at Bournemouth at the weekend, I, I just can't see it. I mean, the alternative reality there is the one that we were speaking about just before we came on air, which is when I said, hopefully we bottomed out against Liverpool. We're starting to see the, the start of a, a gradual uptick with the draw against Leicester. So can we build on that against Bournemouth? Which, I mean, we'll preview the Bournemouth game towards the back end of the show, but I just... um. I refuse to give in to the despair again after no, after last season. I, I know what you mean. I mean, I, I think a good example of the, the despair or the feeling that you've kind of run out of road for what to think or to say about this was what we did with the game on Tuesday, which was basically a bit of an ode to, to train spotting. In fact, we could just read that out for part one of the you, show here you if you could, want. Yeah, it went on for about 10,000 words. <laughs> so yeah, we'll, we'll fill 20 minutes. But I, I spoke to my editor, Kev, before the game and he said, because we always plan ahead, you know, what, what do you think you might write tonight? What, what might you focus on? He was saying to me, you know, we've got the Jack Harrison angle, almost went to Leicester at the end of the window. Is playing against them tonight. Is that something to look at? Been a lot of conversation for the past week, couple of weeks about leadership. You know, is there enough in the way of captaincy, de facto captains in this squad? Is it is it a problem? And I just said, Kev, I, I don't feel like I can write something straight tonight. You know, I don't think I can do another, this isn't very good, is it, piece? Or, you know, shot in the arm as they as they beat Leicester. I just think do something completely different. So we did really, and I think it has reached that point where you now just need to see how this plays out. There's very little that can be changed. There are things Gracia can do differently, no no doubt about that. But you have now got a month to go. So the die is cast completely. They're either going to have enough or they aren't. And I think on the evidence of the past four games, without denying that Tuesday was better than Fulham, without a doubt, and, and clearly better than Liverpool in the second half against Palace, they look to me like a team who smell of it, I'm afraid. They, they do. And, <laughs> are, you, are you mixing your metaphors and there, that's, Phil? <laughs> and and that's, not to, that's not to say that they're gone and it's not to say that they, they won't stay up. But I think for a few weeks now, we've been saying that one way or the other, it's going to be extremely tight and it clearly is. Momentum's a strange thing at this point of the season, isn't it? Because we're coming off the back of some heavy defeats and this felt must win and it feels like we will not get another point this season or we might just about scrape on against Spurs on the final day, which will be completely meaningless by then. And you look at the rest of the results this week with Forest winning who looked like they couldn't win they might not win again this season but then they've had a really good win everyone picked up points one way or another it feels like this week and here we are well yeah, <laughs> everybody in the bottom five got at least a point I'm looking just down I, mean, I know that some games haven't been played yet there's yeah. Everton and um, still to come isn't there Which, but then the, because of Forest winning last night there's a tendency and I very much include myself in this of going are you catastrophizing Michael well, Everton, will win, Everton will win tonight <laughs> as well of course they will I think this is the point though if you have 31 points say or 30 points going into next month into those last four games then I think you struggle to make an, an argument considering particularly that it's City first and then Newcastle um, in that run easy six points you, easy six points absolutely for them uh, <laughs> you, you struggle to make the argument that Leeds are going to take more than the teams around them who they, they need to, to stay ahead of I mean it's an added bonus to not be in the bottom three and for as long as it's like that, you've you've got every chance. But there is clearly a problem with the relationship between the crowd and the board. That is very apparent. It was apparent at, at Fulham. There is, I think, after Tuesday, an issue at the moment between when, in the relationship between the crowd and Gracia because what's gone on over the past three or four games obviously hasn't pleased people, hasn't satisfied people. And, you know, there are little subplots in team selection, use of substitutes and so on, of which Willie Nonto is definitely the biggest at the moment. Um, I think a lot of confusion about the way he's being used or the way he, he isn't being used. And because of that, there just, there just isn't that 
impetus, despite, I, I thought, just the huge effort from the crowd to drive that on Tuesday, there isn't the, the kind of lasting lasting momentum that you really need. And and that was kind of that was kind of shown in the second half where having built it up to the point where Leeds were 1-0 in front and everybody was invested in it and it was, you know, it, Leicester had a few chances, but it felt like it was moving in the direction you wanted that game to move in. It just faded badly in the second half and it didn't feel as if Gracia was doing enough and um, with what was on the bench was doing enough. And we should discuss this in more detail because there is obviously some complexity to it. But it didn't feel as if he was managing the game in a way which maintained the momentum that was there in the first half. And I think the the optimism and the sort of sudden belief that was there in the stands was just kind of gone with an hour played. Well, let's address the momentum aspect, both um, in terms of the table and, and that game. So just to close off that thought, talking about momentum, nobody in the bottom five has won more than one in five. And I do appreciate that we're speaking ahead of the Southampton, Bournemouth and the Everton-Newcastle games. But I'm just looking at like the recent form. You get basically one out of the five sides that are down there who will win in each round of fixtures, if at all. Like all five lost, say, three rounds of fixtures ago. So nobody's really picking up loads of momentum at this stage. Bournemouth have had a bit recently, but they could easily get sucked back in. So I no, just I, I just refuse to accept that the die is cast just yet. This- no, no, nobody's likely to pick up loads of momentum at this stage because you don't go through a season of to the point of 33 games being mediocre and being bottom five and then suddenly roll out five wins from nowhere it just doesn't happen um, and I think if we're being fair to Gracia that's the case for him as well he, he had a good bounce when he came in but given the way this team had been performing for most of the season was it not highly likely that at some point it was going to get difficult again I don't think I expected after the Forest game for it to get this difficult but I thought Fulham away would be a hard fixture I thought they would probably lose at home to Liverpool I did see them beating Palace and I still think in the grand scheme, that might be the game we all look back on when this is all done and wonder how it, it got away from them in the way that it did. It's mad, isn't it, that you'd sit there and say that about a 5-1 because I look yeah. at that as a game we should have won right up until absolutely. they equalised. Uh, absolutely, <laughs> and and I think everybody is is fairly confused about why it has just imploded um, and, and to the, the extent that it has. Uh, again, the, con- the slight concern for me on Tuesday was that Leicester clearly not a great team, but if... If you're weighing up the quality in one side, individual quality in one side, and I guess your range of match winners in one team compared to the range of match winners in the other team, which squad are you going for? Yeah, you'd probably go for Leicester, but on the other side of this, they're still beneath us in the table. They're in the bottom three, Phil. No, they are. They are, absolutely. But you need people who are going to win you games, and I think this comes back to the the argument about Nonto. They have people like Vardy, who, okay, is, you know, a long way on in his career now, but has scored that sort of goal a million times. And, you know, was right, okay, he was offside for that second goal, but once again, just right in the spot where you want him to be, looking to, to put that away. They had Madison, who I thought, once the game settled into the pattern it was in in the second half, was was kind of running the show. What, and did, it, what did you think of the the uh, decision to allow him to referee it as well? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what's coming with that, don't you? You know that's how it's, how it's going to be. But again, that's kind of, that's kind of what you want in these circumstances. I think, for the sake of argument, if Tyler Adams was in the lineup at the moment for Leeds, he'd be doing exactly the same. You know, he's that sort of character. He'd, he'd niggle, he'd, he'd scrap, he'd fight, he'd, he'd try and make it happen. So they are below Leeds in the table, no doubt at all. But there is, at the moment, in this Leeds squad, there is definite lack of confidence. That's pretty clear. There's a apparent lack of form, no doubt about that either. But the quality is is at a low level. And that, 
probably is why the, the argument about Nonto is being fueled to the degree that it is because he surely is the sort of player who, who can turn this. How can you say there's a lack of quality when we've got a £35 million striker on the bench? Because he is not playing, Michael Norman. He's not, he's not <laughs> featured. Surely, any team in the bottom in the bottom four or five would love a thirty-five million pound strike but, on the bench. But this, this, you know, we were discussing this last week, weren't we? The fact that he is, um, he's nowhere to be seen. Again, didn't feature at all on Tuesday night. None to I think is tell, different. Tell you what, because, though, Phil, I bet he'd have put that chance in um, at the end that Bamford missed. Well, I think a lot of players would have fancied finishing that off it was a really really bad miss I don't want to particularly make this all about Bamford because there's so much more going on but but, again, but moments yeah, turn games you no know, they, they absolutely do and, and, and on you know seasons turn on these sorts of things don't they and, and likewise the header from Rocker you know without playing well in the second half they managed to throw up two of the game's best chances right at the end and, and Bamford should have scored that and again in all the conclusions we come to when this season is over Maybe it's the case that they've pushed, maybe it's not even maybe, they've pushed the promotion squad too far. But do you know what? The, the spine in the team still tends to come from the promotion squad. And that, I think, is probably the, the, the issue with it, that they haven't managed to create a skeleton from front to back, which isn't still at some point dependent on the players who they were relying on two or three years ago. They're the ones that the crowd trusts, aren't they? You can tell, you can sense they're, it. They're the ones who owe the club nothing and who the club owe nothing to either. Got the club promoted, were sensational in periods under Bielsa, won the title in a way that none of us could have anticipated when Bielsa came in 2018 with that squad and, and with some of those players. And whether or not their form is diminishing, whether they are going over the hill um, in terms of what they're able to, to contribute at Premier League level, they're kind of beyond reproach, aren't they? You know, Ailing, Cooper... Dallas, you can pick fault with individual performances, you can pick fault with... Well, uh, Dallas has contributed very little this season, I'm, di- I'm disappointed. Yeah, no, absolutely, yeah, I do think he should have played on crutches. Um, <laughs> in certain games it might help. Yeah. But, uh, like Matthias Cleek, he can go with nobody saying, well, you didn't do this or you didn't do that. It wasn't as if Cleek played especially well in you know his final two years at Leeds, and actually it became very difficult for him to play well because he wasn't getting a game. But... When you think of Cleek, you're only going to remember that run of 92 games, aren't you? You're only going to remember things like that performance at, at Everton. And likewise with Dallas, you know, player of the year and Bielsa's... You know, Dallas of all people, I really rate Dallas. I, I like him as a footballer, but around him, you had Rafinha, you had people with, you know, I guess a bit more Hollywood to them, um, a bit more showbiz, a bit more panache. But it was Dallas who got player of the year in that season and, and deservedly. But they are... You still feel that if you need somebody to rest on or you need a clutch of players to rest on. It's those guys that you're going for and I think three years on from getting promoted, that should have changed. I think the decision to let Click leave looks more stupid by the week, I would say. Because I know his form hadn't been great for the year prior to him leaving, but he was still someone you could kind of rely on and you look at the performances of Rocker, McKenney and Aronson over the past few games and it's hard to think he couldn't have played a role in there I, don't, I know maybe none of those positions exactly fit him but he can kind of do any of those jobs a bit which you look at Rocker and I mean I think he should have been taken off for Forshaw because he was obviously incapable of running by the end his legs are completely gone but that's been the case all season for Rocker and McKenney has not looked particularly fit either Aronson looks completely shot of confidence and more interested in trying to win free kicks than anything else and I think Click could have done a bit of a job in any of those positions In these circumstances Little flashes of quality help you to, to get out of it. You know, we had Rafinha here last season who you kind of fancied to turn it on at any moment and who you knew could almost win a game on his own. But you do need to fall back on those 
boring old-fashioned traits of character and leadership they do count to some degree in this and and somebody like Cleek I think would have given you that without romanticising the way he'd been playing in the last couple of years because um, it had got more and more difficult for him he was pretty nerveless as well you know and I see that in Nonto as well I don't I don't get the sense that Nonto particularly feels the pressure of football I think he's he's able to perform in, in really difficult circumstances but we spoke to Grassi afterwards about the substitutions because it was very peculiar in the second half watching Leeds regress and regress and Leicester get on top and the midfield lose control and watching Leeds retreat without much being done about it. And the rationale behind the Aronson for Rodrigo um, change was that he wanted somebody to press further up the field and he thought Aronson was best for that. And as much as we can debate what Aronson's doing and how he's coping physically in this league, which is not well, you sort of understand that that is something that, that he can do. But then the 22 minutes to the end of the game where there were no changes at all, and I'm with you. You know, I, I was looking at Forshaw thinking, Forshaw on here seems like the most obvious call in the world, really, just to try and give the, the midfield more legs. Grassi almost seemed to be saying to us that he'd used two substitution windows already and only had one left, and he wasn't quite sure who might run out of steam. So if he put on Forshaw for Rocker and suddenly Bamford had nothing left, there was no way of altering that if he put somebody on for Bamford and then the midfield went completely and I think the midfield pretty much went completely anyway but he sort of didn't want to be caught short but what that led to was a feeling of paralysis where actually rather than doing something and risking it going wrong did nothing um, and and I think in the end despite the first half Leeds were quite lucky to get out of that with, with a point um, and as for Nonto we just aren't getting a clear explanation really on Nonto it reminds me quite a bit of um, Bielsa and Gilhart it's different there are differences between them but it's that same sort of thing where you find yourself sitting thinking isn't that a wild card that would make sense to play it's not even a wild card he was very reliably yeah. our best player for quite but, a number of games I know at the point Gellhard wasn't getting in the team it, it was felt that he was doing making a good impact from the bench and yeah. maybe he should be getting more minutes but Nonto we've seen him start games we've seen him dominate games Yeah. so there's the difference really is that Nonto is a better player I think at this stage of his career than Gilhart, I think, is more suited to starting in this division. I've been convinced right from the start, really watching him, that he is physically and mentally suited to it. Absolutely no doubt at all. He seems really clever on the ball and is very, you're able to put up with a lot of hammer, which he, he gets from defenders, um, understandably, really. Whenever you asked Bielsa about Gilhart, because there was, there was that situation, wasn't there, where we were all sitting saying, surely Gilhart needs a a game, I think Everton away in Bielsa's last season was probably the best example of this. And it was tended to be Tyler Roberts who he went for. And with the best will in the world, with the naked eye, you were looking at it thinking, Gilhart influences games, Roberts doesn't so much. So it was hard to understand the, the sense of it. But Bielsa would give you technical explanations for it about why he thought Roberts would influence things more, why he thought that was the area of the pitch where he needed the things that Roberts did. It started to feel like a bit of a blind spot. But the thing about Bielsa was he had, you know, the credit in the bank of previously excellent seasons. He had clearly much more technical, tactical knowledge than any of us. And in the end, and this was a fair point, the overriding kind of vibe from him was, I'm coach and it's my decision. You know, it's my decision to pick the team. And if somebody else wants to pick the team, get another coach. But this is my call and, and that's absolutely right. And I'm getting that same sort of vibe from Gracia. Gracia is not sitting saying to us he's not training well, he's not performing well in the, the moments that I give him on the pitch. 
he's not telling us that he has a particular issue with him away from football or, or anything anything like that. It's boiling down to, I look at the players, I pick the team, this is the team I pick. And as he put it, you know, no no player is special. And I don't think he's meaning there, Nonto isn't a special footballer. It seems to me to be the Bielsa mantra of, it's about a collective unit, not about individuals. But the problem is that when the results aren't coming and when you're running out of lives, as leads seem to be, it becomes very difficult to understand not using somebody who so obviously looks like they could make a difference. And it also becomes a problem when people feel like they're in the dark as to why this is the scenario, because the explanations haven't been kind of crystal clear. His um, his game management, I think, has been poor, particularly in that that game. I have to agree with that. Like to, to not use the third window when we were crying out for something. Surely you just got to roll the dice. And I understand the, the reasoning for not necessarily bringing Nonto on for the wide players that we had on towards the back end of the game. He should have just come on earlier, shouldn't he? And, and he was, well, was reflected yeah. in the mood of the crowd, Phil. The, the crowd was singing his name, Nonto's name. And, you know, while we don't have the same technical expertise, we're not coaches, we don't have the badges, there's something to be said sometimes for the wisdom of crowds and, and fans know what works. You know, there's that little intangible thing, isn't it? I felt like the chanting of make a sub as well was very... It was. I know people were chanting for Marsh out of points, but I feel like make a sub was very much like undermining a manager in a way that I can't remember yeah. for quite a while. As in, like we we can all see this. We're, te- we're literally telling you how to do your job here in a way that it, was, I, it probably goes back to like Neil Warnock days. Yeah. When people, well, you, when people you can't actually, fault their effort. Exactly, that a great bunch of lads. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't quite wasn't quite that sarcastic. But I think I think the crowd were just voicing the view that a lot of us had that this surely looks like it needs to be changed and, and needs to be mixed up. I mean, Bielsa was right about this. You, you can't pick your team or decide your substitutions on the whim of journalists like me or supporters' crowds. It's not healthy and eventually it, it catches up with you. But that doesn't mean that there aren't occasions where a coach is, is getting it wrong. And I don't know where you were sitting on Tuesday night, but when they signalled for Aronson to come up the touchline to get ready to come on, there was an audible groan mm. from the West Stand, you know, and it's quite uncomfortable actually because it's not as if Aronson isn't trying, it's not as if he isn't making the effort, it's not as if you look at him as somebody who is totally indifferent about the way it's going for him. You can imagine this eating away at him um, and, you know, physically he has just not coped with the division this season. But that, I think, told a story as well. That uh, and, and you're right about what you're saying about the wide players. If, you, if you're putting Nonto on the pitch, you have to put him in a position that's going to work. So you have to then think about who you're going to sacrifice. And somebody said to me afterwards, they thought Somerville was playing pretty well. They thought Harrison was playing pretty well, um, or you know, as well as anybody, given what was going on. But I still feel that with Nonto, you do have somebody who can make it happen. And when you need to win games, you surely have to start leaning towards the players who are most likely to to do that. And I think that was the mood, wasn't it, on on Tuesday, was stick him on the pitch because it might just pay off. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Just picking up on the theme that we were talking about there in, in part one, Phil, do you think like online noise, and we've seen an awful lot of online noise, kind of feeds into the general state of, of anxiety when it comes to football? Does everything feel heightened to you? Yeah, yeah, that's been growing and developing over several years, probably over the last decade. And we should acknowledge that. I think we're we're kind of part of that. Yeah, no, no, absolutely are. And I think down to, probably down to Twitter more than anything else, I think. I always get the feeling that clubs pay much more attention to what's being said on Twitter than they do to any other social media outlet. I think there are other social media outlets that they use more for their own promotion and so on, you know, Instagram and, and so on. Although everybody is on on Twitter, clubs do, do use it to, to a great extent. But when it comes to the actual mood and the feeling and, and everything else, there do seem to be more eyes on what's being tweeted than anything else. Again, I, I don't know if that's about to blow itself out. Tw- Twitter is changing definitely at the moment and I don't think it's unconnected to the, the Musk takeover. It feels as if people that I've been seeing on there for years, you know, and mentions and so on, drifted away a bit I don't feel like there's quite the same level of engagement and I don't know whether over time people just become more resistant to paying too much attention to become better at kind of riding the the emotion on it but you're right you know football's quite a football's quite an angry sport at the moment isn't it here's a question for you then do you think Alfred Schroeder was the first proper test case of a manager being unappointed by Twitter because the reaction on there must have driven the club's yeah, opinion I, I, to, to row back to shore on that one. Well, well, given that the stadium was already empty by the time Schroeder was going across the pitch, so the only way in which you would have been able to pick up on supporter sentiment was via message boards and Twitter. It definitely, definitely had an impact. And and whether or not you, you know, the club would argue about, about how close it was to being done. Personally, I think him in the stadium, in the country, here for that game, ready to go, it looked like it was 100% on the cards. And then, so it's still too late to get him in. <laughs> <come back. laughs> Apology from the entire city of Leeds saying, actually, do you know, let's, um, D- let's do it. Dreadful buyer's um, regret. <laughs> but, the, you know, it, it does have an influence. I mean, I'm quite intrigued as to what difference the reaction to Marsh into Leicester made to that not happening. You know, whether or not that was a situation where Leicester properly got cold feet and thought, we can't do this because if there is dissent in the stands, dissent in the ranks, then we risk the, the games we've got left and the chance we have of staying up being kind of soured and, and ruined by the fact that you have this this infighting. But Twitter, we, we were talk, discussing last week, weren't we, about going through Twitter in this um, in this section, almost like the greatest hits of the last 10 years because it has changed so much. There's a great tale about Ryan Babel being the first person, first player ever to be had up by the FA for something he tweeted. And he, he basically tweeted a picture of Howard Webb in a Man United shirt um, after a game against Liverpool. And it's quite, I always find that quite amusing because you see the naivety of the fact that he did that without thinking, this might get me into a bit of trouble, this. Because back then, Twitter was quite abstract. You know, it was kind of this weird this weird thing out in the internet that some people use, but most people haven't cottoned on to. I, I never signed up until 2011, I don't think. 
And even then, it was someone in my office who signed me up for it. I didn't really want anything to do with it in the way that I didn't particularly want a blue tick, but the athletic insisted that we all got them after we um, after we shifted across there, just so that people could tell it was actually you. But in amongst all the moaning about blue ticks last week and, and the week before, I was quite happy to lose mine. It just made, made no difference at all. Just blend into the background yeah, a, little, yeah. a little bit more. I'm remembering Ross McCormack uh, calling someone triangle head on there. That was a, yeah, so, that was a good day. Uh, those were the days when there, there was no kind there was no <laughs> what kind was that about so, somebody the, the conversation went like this somebody messaged him and I suppose this this is like the genesis of Twitter becoming what it was someone messaged him and said you'll wank and McCormack replied to him and said what's your problem triangle head you know and you can see you can see in those periods how it was it was kind of quite lawless do you know what I mean and it was almost like unmoderated by the clubs themselves you had this stuff going on where players were from time to time getting involved in this stuff but partly because it was a totally new experience having people coming at you online you know you set up a Twitter account with the idea of you know in in the the way that Facebook was back in the day of telling people that you're going to the supermarket or here's some pictures of my kids and then as it develops and people you know, I guess the light bulb goes off with people thinking, oh, you can actually have a pop at players on here. You know, it, it starts to get a little bit out of hand. And I think if you if you compared what players used to tweet 10 years ago with what they tweet now, which is just pretty much sponsorship deals and sorry about Saturday's performance or great win yesterday onwards, blah, blah, blah. It tends to be as, as far as it goes. You do still get the odd player who picks the odd fight from time to time, but it happens less and less. Whereas... I mean, McCormack was that way turned out. I think we should say that. But back in the day, I don't think people like him thought twice about basically just saying fuck off. You know, that's, <laughs> that's how it was. I mean, Click being the obvious, the recent example as well when he with the fuck off Bob tweet that, that went down very well. But I don't think most players could have got away with that. I think no. like, I feel like right now if Brendan Aronson told someone to fuck off on Twitter, he would, he might hear he would not it. be particularly well received. Yeah. Click is like miles out here. Everybody else is in the game is over here, kind of being safe with it. And, you know, you would say sensible. The thing about him is that he's always been really kind of down-to-earth, in-touch guy. So you don't feel like it's a persona, you know, you don't feel like he's trying to play the game. He's just kind of doing what he doing what he does. And people like that and, and do admire it. But that's not for everybody, I think it's fair to say. that There aren't that many players who'd be able to carry it off like that. And you do have to have some sort of, he just seems to have a, an unbelievably thick skin but you do have to have some kind of defensive mechanism because I mean joking aside you look at some of what comes at people like Harry Maguire and so on I, I don't know what it must be like reading that all day no. every day no it must be horrible I mean Click is, a, is an interesting example of somebody who and we've said this before when we kind of analysed it haven't we on our show Michael that he obviously do does not give a toss about what people think, no. what they say. He's very, he's, very he self-assured. Before that he searches for his own name because he loves seeing, you know, getting dug, dug out about various things. And he, and he knows, he knows that none of this matters. It's just a stupid game. And yet, he wanted to win so much. Yeah. Like it's, there's a real interesting like dichotomy there, but isn't there? Don't you think that maybe helps a footballer these days to be able to be ambitious and driven in the moments where you have to be, but outside of that, to actually see it for what it is? I was tweeting yesterday, there was a guy who 
they put a photo on Twitter of the famous entry to Luton's ground at Kenilworth Road. You know where you go under the flats um, or, or through the houses, through the terraced houses. Uh, for anybody that. who's not been there, who, who's never seen yeah. the pictures of this, just describe it for us. So you can. Luton, it's almost like that. You go through a house, don't you? It like, looks like it. Yeah. yeah. So you've got a row of terraced houses, and then at one point on the street, there's advertising billboards that show you that this is the entrance to Luton's ground, and it looks as if you'll be going into exactly the type of stadium that you find, which is one that's kind of out of the the 1980s. And I'm not throwing stones here because. Yeah. Ellen Road is by no means the Etihad, you know. But and Luton, it'll, bring you to, it'll bring you to the point that you're going to make Yeah, as well. Luton is, is miles behind the times. So somebody put this photo on there and said, you know, people are just going to make fun of this and people will have a laugh and people will be like, oh, what a joke this is. They shouldn't be in the league. And I tweeted and said, I honestly think most people these days see it in the opposite way, that they like stuff like that because if it's, as someone put it yesterday, if it's not that, it's just the total Disneyfication of football. I was going to say when you compare it to, to Spurs' stadium, which yeah. is like it's like the Google campus, isn't it? You've told it us is. before from being in there. So like, it's great to go and you get yeah. fed really nicely, everything else. But it's, but, but there's something there's no variety, is there, if yeah. everything's mm-hmm. like that. So and sometimes you need a bit of bit of rawness yeah. to walk you know. walk through something where you can see people like washing either side yeah, of you in their back, absolutely. In their well, back last gardens. Last time I went down yeah. there, down that street, the house next to it had a mattress in the um in the front yard. It was just it'd obviously been there for about three years. And is your daughter uh, now sleeping on that? Well, <laughs> if we get relegated, it might come to that, yeah. But it that's you know, that's how it was and, and it's just a, a little bit of um a little bit of character. But perhaps Cleek had the right balance of being able to take it seriously when it had to be taken seriously. But then outside of that, being able to say to himself, None of this is real. You know, none of this none of this is real life, because it isn't. The, the Twitter account of Calvin Phillips is interesting because if you go back to the start of it, it's him saying... It's a teenage boy, isn't it? It is. It's him like taking the, posting pictures of Alex Mowat as a kid, taking the piss of him and talking about his Grand Yorkshire puddings and that sort of stuff and saying, and retweeting people saying Calvin Phillips should be in the team. And now it's just, you know, yeah. I think, well, I think really he's got, pleased he, to be back with the lads. We got, go again. He's got a team who look after it now. That's it? what I mean. But it's, yeah. it's boring. You can, yeah. you can yeah. so clearly tell. You can, you can probably find the exact tweet where it switches over and I can completely understand why he's done it. Because when you're an England player, your profile is so different that, you know. It's, well, it's you, also well, just not worth the hassle of saying the wrong thing and being in the Daily Mail for the next four days. Yeah, know? I was going to say, you see it, don't you, where footballers get something raked over that they end up before a disciplinary hearing yeah. for something that they put on social media six years ago when they were 15, they might have posted something. Which it's generally quite like ill-advised if they'll post something like homophobic or something, but you think, well, is it worth holding well, to account it, a, a 24-year-old man for something when he was 15? Like, I, I don't know. There's, look, there's look not at, much benefit to it. In the abstract look, call of football, yeah. yeah. It's, look it's, at Weston yeah. McKenney this week and his mate on Twitter saying X, Y, and Z about players at Leeds and, and everything else. And McKenney then on Instagram saying... He's not speaking for me, you know, I can speak for myself. And didn't didn't refer to him as a friend, he referred to him as someone I know, which I thought was an interesting, there's a line there. Yeah, but irrespective of whether he's a friend or whatever else, somebody speaking for McKinney, unless it's his agent or, say, his father or something like that, McKinney can speak for himself, you know, and it was one of those strange scenarios where people were getting hit up about somebody who knew him saying this, that and the other, but it wasn't McKinney saying any of this. And, and I think that's... That's the point. That's how easily it sort of blows up. And that's why a lot of this becomes really sanitised. I mean, you'll probably remember Gary Monk's Twitter account when he was at Leeds. And it always used to say... I think, I think we're blocked by that now at the square. Oh, are you? Let me just double check. That surprises me. Um, <laughs> it, it, um, it used to just say every week, looking forward to Rotherham tomorrow, going to be a hard game. We'll go and compete for the three points. And I remember tweeting once saying, one of these days he's going to break from character and he's just going to say... Be disappointed if we don't stick six past this punch tomorrow. The rubbish 
it's going to be a doddle. See there, you know. And but yeah, again, well, I've checked. We're blocked. Are you? <laughs> well done. Yeah, well done. That was actually a better conversation. Who? Twenty minutes of who are the square ball blocked by Harry Kewell as well. Oh, well done. Uh, yeah, um, well done. no, yeah. I was just checking the, the the Gary Monk thing because we ended up conceiving the Monk bot off the back of that, mm. didn't we? Because he he was tweeting like almost like you know it, actually you've seen it more recently like the way that AI can just drum up some sentences and stuff like that. you can you can do that now you can get AI you can get Chat G, GPT to come up with tweets for you if you yeah. want to it'll so write me a tweet about this and it'll do it and some of, some of them were really funny about Arsenal last yeah. night actually <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah we 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 came up with a Monk bot and actually there is now oh there was an account Gary Monk bot. It was tweeting similar stuff as, as a result. So you can subvert it and have a little bit of fun. Come on, loosen up, Gary. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, people have said to me a few times, why did you start doing the goal tweet? And I just sort of said, I don't know. Because a goal went Because a goal went in and yeah. you, weren't, you, were, you felt like you were supposed to be using Twitter. You didn't really know what you were meant to be to be doing with it. But then, then things started to change, particularly I always think of it around about the GFH takeover time, where you would tweet replies to people quite sort of, innocently or without thinking anything about it someone asks you a question on there so you'd reply to it and then you find the next day that there were kind of blogs running these tweets and writing stories off these tweets and also we we went through the the kind of transition from you'd write for an evening newspaper so anything particularly when I first joined the evening post anything that happened after one o'clock when the last um, edition had gone to print you couldn't touch until the next day you literally had no outlet for it there's nothing you could do and okay we started to develop a website but then I remember with the, the take of the GFH takeover, the, the first time the account really exploded and, and you just suddenly had followers loading onto you and you weren't quite sure what was going on. I remember tweeting something about it at 11 o'clock at night, waking up the next morning and people saying at, you know, seven, eight o'clock, any more on this? And I'm thinking... Are you asleep? I'm having a bed. It's like, you know, like, no, what, what would have happened overnight? But then nowadays, that's kind of commonplace isn't it well and Fabrizio if, Romano doesn't and, and sleep on, does he and Ornstein you know yeah. it's exactly the go same go to bed man well I'd do something to say to Ornie I'm going to send you to a <laughs> health spa in Iceland or something where you're not going to be allowed to leave for three for three months you're not going to have your phone either but that's it you know there now is this ability to just constantly hit news lines over and over and over again to the point where it's almost worth badgering I shouldn't say this but it's worth badgering somebody like Ornstein <laughs> someone like because, you well it's got to the point where I used to engage, interact far more with you know individual tweets and so on. It's got to the stage now where I don't have a huge number of followers, but I've got enough where it just gets swamped, you know. And I think the last time I properly replied to much was about Mark Rocker last summer after we'd done the story that he was probably coming from Bayern Munich, and someone said I, I'd run the story on the Thursday, on the Sunday, Sunday, Sunday morning. Somebody tweeted me saying, "Is it done yet?" And I'd said something like, "No, but." Um, still looking good and they'd reply to me saying something like what's the hold up and I'm thinking well you know isn't one really it's just moving moving in its own time so you know replied again and then before you know it you've got millions of questions coming from millions of directions and it becomes really difficult to field them I think that's that's the one thing with Twitter is that it's like post-match how to pick what to reply to because rightly everybody's got a view on everything And, and I think the more tweets that are coming, the more disparate that view is. So somebody thinks this player's fantastic. Somebody thinks he's a joke. Somebody would play him. Somebody absolutely wouldn't play him. These people would lynch these people outside in the car park if they had the chance. You know, People get angry with you for not uh, reflecting their exact view as well. There is that. But I understand that there'll be times where they think that the view I'm reflecting isn't the right one. And there'll be times where the 
do you, I'm reflecting, probably isn't the right one. So, you know, the same as players, really. People are entitled to get stuck into us. But I I don't know. Do you think Twitter is starting to eat itself? Because I, I feel a little bit like it might be. It's funny because I, I was flicking through the TV channels last night and uh, the social network was on, which is obviously about like, Facebook. And it just got me to thinking about this, kind of the rise and fall of Facebook and what that's become now overrun with boomers talking about nostalgic things. And I don't go on it anymore. I actually, I was on it all the time previously, but there's nothing for me there now. I'm just not interested in it. I wonder if if Twitter will go down that same path, like the life cycle of, of social media. It's an interesting thought in it and how it'll how football will react to it because it, feel like, it feels almost like yeah. something like Twitter is is kind of custom built for football and the immediate. Oh, absolutely. In a way that they didn't intend, you know, or didn't realise, I don't think. Because back in the day when I first joined, nobody was really doing minute-by-minute updates through games, any of that. Nobody was really posting any news on there. Nobody was using it to link to websites. It, it did kind of develop quite organically. But... Um, if it is about to go by the wayside, I do think I should dig out some of the old classic tweets to save forever. Um, I found one of yours the other week, Phil, because I was trying to find... We did an episode about Dakara biting the Fulham player and I was trying to find the tweet. Vieta, yeah. I was trying to find the tweet where someone had suggested to you that maybe he'd bitten himself. <laughs> but bearing in mind the bite wound was on his chest. To try and get, yes. get Dakara sent off. Uh, you replied saying, aye, that's probably it. But I, did, I couldn't actually, I couldn't find that one at the time. But what I did find was, um, your, your tweet goes, uh, major team news from Bielsa's press conference. Roof is out with the Millwall game. Hernandez missing for at least three weeks and Berardi not ready either. Someone replied saying, bring some some C in on a free. Can't go with what we have available, especially not for Millwall away. You replied, I'm going to wager that the impact of some C on a free might not be huge. <laughs> there was more of this, Phil, more of this. I mean, the, the Ducara one was during that period of, running battles with people who thought Chilino was great and that we should be supporting him and and obviously lots of people who didn't and we were very much on the side of people who didn't think Chilino was particularly great. There's the very famous one of Phil put a pick of your bird on here. Um, <laughs> still never done still, it. Which is still, no, no, it's just still him. Um, still going, going around. And, I have to say, you know, for, for all the criticism, <laughs> parts of it, parts of it. I someone might have thought, he might do this. Have you ever shown, yeah, have you ever shown just, that tweet to your wife, case. by the way? I think she's seen it, yeah. yeah. She sees most of this stuff. She follows loads of it and just um, just laughs, really. And it has to be said, for all the, you know, all the downsides of Twitter, <laughs> some, of it's, of your bird some of it's been great fun <laughs> over the years. It, it honestly, it honestly has. But without a doubt, the best, the best moments are always, or the best things about Twitter when it, when it is at its best is when, you know, nights like promotion and everything else where people just pile in with all sorts. Particularly there's because a, a lot of that happened behind closed doors and it was actually a way yeah, for results to keep in touch. There's just it? this incredibly good feeling and actually, even though it's just an online site and you're not properly interacting with anybody in a physical sense, you can feel the warmth and you can feel the love and every, everything else. So you're there's, saying... There isn't enough of that. I was just going to say, Phil, you know, just, to, like, just to bookend that thought, it's going to be great this time in 12 months when we get promoted. <laughs> And maybe not so great in a month's time, yeah. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? 
Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Nice little detour into social media there, Phil. However, back to business on Sunday and the business of winning at Dean Court. We said that the Leicester game was do or die. This is do or die Um. It's never, it's never die when you can still theoretically stay up, but they've got to win this, don't they? Got yes. to win this. I, I um, deliberately didn't watch the Forest game last night because last year I ended up watching all the Burnley games and making myself feel infinitely worse, so I watched the Man City game instead and I was just making myself feel worse about what's to come um, <laughs> I mean, you, in the near future. Mind you, I mean, Manchester City kind of makes me wonder what we're all bothering about anyway and <laughs> what, what it all mm. means. It was it was incredibly weird to sit and watch a title contender game look like the best side in the Premier League playing aside from the Championship in the FA Cup. It was absolutely bizarre. I mean, Arsenal got completely battered from start to finish, totally outplayed in, in every sense. And the golf there's only going to get bigger between City and most other clubs, and it really is um, insurmountable, I think. But I know what you mean. I had a sort of quiet eye on the Forest game. One of those where you wanted to just flick to the score with like three minutes to go and see that Brighton were winning 4-0 but not as it turned out but once again you know that is that is how it always goes in a relegation battle that if you're not winning other teams do and um, it catches up on you which brings us back to the point that we can't rely on other teams here can we we've just got to uh, yeah. take, take care of business ourselves and what can we do do you think to build on what happened on Tuesday what, what are the good bits that we can extract from that that we can take to Dean Court it looked in the first half, like it mattered to the players an awful lot more than it looked like it mattered at Fulham. Um, that's a bit of a you know a bit of an easy easy jibe, but the the intensity of the way they were pl- playing, people like Rodrigo, I was saying him at peace. He was like Vinnie Jones in the first half. On she seemed like he was trying to kill everybody. And although there's a fine line to tread there, and it can become a bit reckless, I actually think it was the right kind of attitude at the right time. You know, it was what the crowd wanted to see. It was what the crowd needed. I don't think Leicester particularly liked it. It'll have to be like the, the like that again down at Dean Court. The thing that worries me about Bournemouth is it feels a lot like the Fulham game in that it's a small ground, tight ground, crowd on top of you in the way that they do. It's probably not going to be a great game. I, I do worry slightly that Bournemouth are going to compete better than Leeds, but one way or another, they've got to get out of there with three points. But with the best will in the world, and with all respect to Bournemouth, who've been on a really good run recently, they're not as good as Fulham because the table suggests that. No, absolutely, absolutely. And they did get absolutely trounced by West Ham um, in the last game. West Ham seemed to be coming back round towards a bit of form just in time for Leeds to go there. Hooray, hooray. Uh, yeah, I um, mean, they're, but they're, they're off the back of the European semi-final days before we they, play They them, absolutely so. are, yeah. So this is always that interesting time, isn't it, where you start to try and work out how teams are going to be psychologically. Spurs, for example, on the last day, I mean, who can even guess? But, well, let's look at it, right? So Spurs are going to be on the beach because they nearly are already. West yes. Ham are coming off the back of a European semi-final. Man City are going to be prepping for a European semi-final. Nine points there. Mm-hmm. And then Newcastle, just roll them over to upset my in-laws. Yeah, it's what matters more than anything. Yeah, so there we go, 12 points, finish on 42. Yeah, It has to be said, it's amazing how Chelsea are doing their best to almost get sucked <laughs> into this, isn't it? I mean, God. <laughs> if they'd have appointed Lampard... A bit earlier, they could have been in this, yeah, this battle. But they'll regret that forever, wouldn't they? We, should, <laughs> yeah, we went too late. We should have done this months ago. Yeah, it's going well for him. Though. I mean, Groundhog Day again. But you look at the table. You look at 
I was saying earlier about how few wins happen for the bottom five teams or thereabouts. Yeah. And, and a win just ch- it changes everything, doesn't it? It puts a whole different perspective on things and ignore the four games that are coming up. But just right now, to go into next week with 33 points on the board is going to make a world of difference. I mean, Bournemouth have been a kind of statistical mystery all the way through this. And I'm really surprised to see them on 33 points. And I think... It is a definite feather in Gary O'Neill's cap. Not just that he's got them to that point, because I don't think they've got the, the sort of squad that can easily avoid being in, in this type of position. But also bear in mind that back in November, there was serious talk about Bielsa going in there. And I guess having Bielsa dangled at a club like Bournemouth and then it being Gary O'Neill could give you the sense of what you could have won as opposed to what you actually have won. And I don't think the circumstances were easy for him at all. So they've they've done well to get themselves into this um and it's a bit no, I mean they've lost seventeen games this season, same as Leeds. They've conceded sixty-three goals this season, same as Leeds. So you're not talking about a, a machine that's um that's immovable. It's it's definitely winnable at Dean Court. But I think what Leeds have not done really for a while now, um, or feels like a while, is play for ninety minutes, you know, dominate or control. I know you don't dominate games from start to finish, but to feel at the end of a game like they've had it in hand, you know, it, it has fallen away against Palace it's never really been there against Liverpool from half an hour onwards and then again on Tuesday you know it was there to be won and then suddenly 15 minutes into the second half it's, it's Leicester who are running the show and Leicester who are looking dangerous again what what does he do with the team does he I guess does he give in to the crowd and does he play Nonto from the start does he play Nonto from the start because he wants to anyway he did say on Tuesday look he and others like Adam Forshaw will be used you know we will need them um, but is this the moment? I feel like it probably is. He keeps picking an unchanged side, though, doesn't he? So there's not yet the evidence that he's going to rotate. But I mean, I, do we know, I, do we I know if Sinisteris fit? I'd be surprised if Sinisteris fit. We're not seeing Grassi until tomorrow. But the way he came off on Tuesday looked pretty unlikely to me that four or five days would be enough to turn around. But we'll see. Such a shame he's made of clouds, isn't it? He's such a good player as well. He is, but he's just. Someone was asking me on Twitter a while back when we were talking about players coming back, you know, Rodrigo and others who might make a difference, saying, why does nobody ever mention Sinistera? And I was saying, because at this stage, it's hard to know how much you can rely on him. You know, he's not really been able to get going properly this season. But he does do things when he's on the pitch. He, he absolutely does. And you would much rather have him fit than not. Again, if Verber is available, surely, surely he comes back into the team. I mean, that seems like the most obvious call going, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, just looking at some of the select fixtures and... Uh, in the bottom half, particularly over this weekend, Palace, West Ham. Are we are we ruling West Ham? Uh, well, Palace, you'd say, are pretty much out of it. West Ham, another win maybe sees them right, but they could get dragged back into it depending on what happens. They could do... I think they're almost there, aren't they? Almost yeah. there. I don't think Bournemouth are a mile away either. You know, Bournemouth's still got a game in hand over Leeds, which they're about to play. So yeah, I, I think I think both of those two will feel like the finish line is just about, just about in front of them. Brentford Forest, you'd... Hope for a Brentford win there anyway because they're on a uh, good run of form. Forest terrible away from home. Yeah. Should go to form, but you know, who knows at this stage. Brighton Wolves, do we need to even keep an eye on that one with Wolves on 37 now? No. No. Uh, line through that. And then Newcastle Southampton, you'd expect to go one way, but then you saw what Southampton did at Arsenal, so you've got to be careful. What do we want from the Southampton Bournemouth game tonight? Oh, it's interesting because this will come out after this game. Because so. I'm almost thinking we'd better off having Southampton win that to keep us in touch with Bournemouth because then it means if we go to Bournemouth and win we'd go to the same points as them it's a weird week we could either end we could end the week nine points behind Bournemouth or level one points with Bournemouth yeah which is a really odd thought I I think the sooner you can lose clubs at the bottom the better 
Um, so I don't think you particularly want Southampton getting back into it and feeling like they've got a chance again because that does mix it up. But then, like you say, you, you are losing somebody out of it. If, I think if Bournemouth were to, to win this evening, up to 36 points, they're just about there, aren't they? It's funny, just listening to you going through those games, Dan, I was on the uh, train home from King's Cross after Fulham. Coach B of the uh, 1830 from King's Cross to Edinburgh, I think it was. And there's a table of four on there. And it was the most extraordinary two hours of straw clutching on the way back up. They didn't know I was there. That's, um, that's all it I, is at this stage. I, I was it? A, yeah. a separate part of the carriage. But from the off, you know, from the moment we left to the moment I got off, it was just round and round in the way that we all do of, well, if this goes for us, then this will be okay. But if he doesn't play him, then it's not going to happen. And all this. It's like, oh, here we are again. Well, yeah, the, the intriguing fixtures this weekend are our Leeds Bournemouth because it's two clubs right down there. The chance for us to to drag them back into it perhaps but Leicester Everton fascinating that that's on Monday night as well after everybody else has played because you could put a tremendous amount of pressure on both those teams by going to Dean Court and winning I may actually be going to that game Leicester Everton just for oh, a you, bit you're cheating on us uh, no just for a bit of sort of what from light relief <laughs> well yeah that's what I said to the desk I said marvellous yeah sounds great but just for a bit of a you know, depending on how the table shaped up, for a bit of a Leeds perspective on what are we looking at here, and do these two have anything in them, and you know where is this all headed? You're right to say that with some of the games next month, they might be influenced by what else is going on. So Europe for West Ham, Europe for City, Spurs just being Spurs, <laughs> New, Newcastle possibly already being top six by that point, or you know needing virtually nothing to to get in. All I would say with Bournemouth coming up is that if at the end of the season you look back at me and Leeds had taken virtually nothing from it, you wouldn't be that surprised, would you? Mm. So the less you can stake on those four matches, the better, without a doubt. It's funny, you know, you're talking about like straw clutching. And when I saw that Forrest had got that penalty and, and scored it to make it 3-1 last night, as it is that we're recording this, and I thought, well, at least that drops Leicester into the bottom three. Not so smug now, are you, James <laughs> Madison, shushing our south stand? <laughs> Oh, man. I don't know. We all need the summer, don't we? We do. Um, Let's have a nice week off where we can just not think about football. The fact is, Leeds either get out of this themselves or they don't get out of it. The table's too tight below them. That I mean, I, I sort of said on, on Twitter after the Leicester game, if they come away from from Bournemouth with 30, 31 points, you're probably looking at somebody finishing on a dire total in 18th to go down. It's it's the only way it happens and that was proven at Brentford you know if, if they lost at Brentford last season they would have been down went there and won that's what you've got to do so what we're saying is win football matches stay up yes don't make it hard nice for yourself simple, isn't it yeah. yeah why is it taking us a lot 50 odd minutes to get to this point I've no idea or why is it taking the game like 100 years <laughs> <laughs> I've got a, fe- a feeling it'll end up being something stupid like a draw on Sunday just to drag it out further just to heighten the uncertainty so we're going into these four fixtures like thinking well that's it. Whatever you know, it'll just it'll just fuel that spiral of uh, of uncertainty. The other yeah. part of me thinks if we don't believe we can go there and win, what's the point? Well, yeah, absolutely. What's the so, point? Yeah. You know, appeal to the better. I, part. Agree, I agree with the second half of that. Appeal. <laughs> <laughs> just appeal to the better part of your nature. That's all I'm saying. It can happen. I mean, I, I'll never forget the atmosphere on the train <laughs> down to Brentford last season. And everybody, and including people you saw as you went from King's Cross over to Brentford Stadium, everybody saying. It's not going to happen today. There's no way. Like, I'm totally resigned. I'm totally. I wouldn't say people were saying they were at peace with the idea of getting relegated, but they'd got it into the heads that yeah, they were, they were going to go. And then it just happens in the way that that it happens. And I think if we're honest about the way Brentford played that day, that was an occasion where it helped that it was done and 
totally done and dusted for them. You know, there was no no skin in the game for Brentford at all. But there definitely is for Bournemouth. Well, let's be honest, Bournemouth do not like Leeds, do they? Um, no. So they are not going to be they're not going to be throwing this one. No, absolutely not. Do you know what it all, it all points to? May the twenty eighth, Spurs at home, and a day for the ages. You think, Michael? Dead rubber, that one. <laughs> <laughs> right, we will wrap it up there. Me and, me and Phil will return on Monday, the Phil Hay Monday Club. That is over on the Square Ball podcast feed. Have a look at that in your podcast player. <sighs> Fingers crossed. We'll see you on the other side. The Phil Hay Show.